last week I diagrammed this on the board and I got beaten up about it. So I decided up here so we can understand it a little bit better. Because we're going to be referring to this quite a bit in what um, Paul is telling to the Romans. He's explaining things to them. Remember, Romans were not necessarily, they didn't understand Christianity. They didn't even understand Judaism. So, you know, he's got to really give them Christianity 101. But he's, in this particular passage, we're going to be looking at chapter 7 and 8, even starting in chapter 6, because I mentioned it last week. He's talking about how we operate as people. You know, our body, or our flesh, our spirit, and then our mind. Any two of these that are in control of us, this is the way we're going to go. Okay, so I'm going to be referring to this uh, tonight uh, more. That uh, um, you know, your spirit is that which is born again. Your spirit is that which you know obviously lives in eternity. Is your spirit that wants the things of God? Your body just wants pleasure. It wants comfort food. It wants to relax. It doesn't want to do anything. Now, your mind is the one that can be swayed either way. That's why we're told to renew our mind. Not to what the body wants, and into lust, into whatever, you know, any pleasure per se. Not that there's wrong with, you know, pleasure. But the idea here is that the mind and spirit should be in conjunction. We should be renewing our mind to the things of God, and that's the direction we're going to go. Whereas if our mind is being renewed by the body, it's going to want temporal things. It's going to want instant gratification. It's going to want the Krispy Kreme donut, not just one, but the whole box, you know, kind of thing. So that's why any two of those, that's the direction you're going to go. But this is where our internal warfare goes on. Also, you could interchange this for values. If you were using this in the form of, uh, say, leadership or for your your company, that you know, we don't want our mind in in our corporate world, uh, you know, satisfaction. I'm going to get you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We want the mind renewed to the values of the company or the organization. You know, that's a good team player. So you could you know take that out if it was used in a corporate setting, but for us, this is uh, what we're talking about. So we're going to refer to that several times tonight, so just kind of think about that. So Romans chapter 7, uh, verse 1 to 6, he says some stuff here about marriage and divorce, but he's saying it so he can say this in verse 6, Romans 7, verse 6. But now we have been released from the law having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So in other words, the newness of the Spirit, because our Spirit has been reborn, our Spirit now is in tune, it should be in tune, is in tune with God. It's your Spirit that needs to be fed when you read when you're reading scripture, it's your spirit that uh, understands and perceives 
uh, the word of God and godliness and holiness and sanctification and all of that. So we've been renewed here. So now instead of letting our body control us, our flesh, you know, if you do something to me, I'm going to get right back at you. Or you've got a better house than me, I'm going to get a better house than you. Uh, you've got this, well, I'm going to get that. Or I'm going to show you, that's, that's the body kind of thing. But here we don't do things that way. We are now, it is by the Spirit. So, verse 7 to 13. But what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Now what he's talking about going back from last time, you know, the law refers to the commandments of God, the Old Testament. So he says, is the law sin? Because we've been, we've been redeemed from the law. And so what, he, what he's, you know, he's making a point here, because if you tell someone you've been redeemed from the law, now does that mean the law is not useful anymore? So he's making a point here that the law is still useful, but he's going to show how it's useful. So is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, it would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet, one of the Ten Commandments. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteousness and good. Therefore did that which is good become a cause for death for me. May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. In other words, the law convicts. The law shows us that we are sinners. The law shows us how we fall short. The law does not push us in any way towards sin. Our sin nature does that. But once the law is given... Now we understand uh, what we can do and what we should not do. Because if we break the law, he says here, the the result is death. So in other words, we're sinners. Death is required because we have broken the law. It's like if you have a rural highway and there's there's no speed limit sign, you don't know how fast to go. You don't, you don't know. But once they... The law comes, and then they sound now say 45 miles an hour. Then you now know uh, what the law says. It is now 45 miles an hour. And so now you are now held account- accountable to the fact that the law says it is 45. So if you get pulled over, they're going to hold you not accountable to what the officer wants to say, but you're going to be accountable to what the law says, that driving through here you cannot exceed 45 miles an hour. That's basically what he's saying about the law. The law still convicts us. So even though we are freed from the law, meaning that we were dead in our sins, the law shows us our sins, 
But there was no atonement made for those sins. We're dead. So this is why Christ came. God so of the world sent his only begotten son, so that through Christ we are now alive. But he still, what he's saying is the law is still useful because the law is that which raises the standard and shows us and convicts us and shows us what, what is right and what is wrong. So the law um, convicts us. The law shows us the error of our ways. And so that we should not say, I sin because of the law. No, we sin because we have a sin nature. The law just points us out to us where we have been been sinning. That's why I said that back in Cain and Abel, you know, one kills the other, and sometimes people could say, well, how come God didn't judge him and God didn't uh, uh, cause uh, death to him because he, he killed his brother? Well, that was before the law was given. You can't be held accountable to that which wasn't given yet. So, you know, if it, if it occurred after the law, then he would have been accountable that way. So... Verse 14 to 17. Pastor Steve, yes. I have sure. a question. Sure. Doesn't the Bible say somewhere that God created us with a sense of right and wrong? And if, if that's the case, um, why the law to tell us that something is a sin if we have in us the sense of right and wrong. Well, he says, I said before you today both right and wrong, and basically he says, choose what is right. Mm -hmm. You know, that we have the capacity to do that, but what happens is our sin nature says, like it says in Jeremiah, we're born into inequity, we're born into sin. Mm -hmm. And so our nature is that, that, that if we're not careful sin will control us because if we don't have the law to point out that that sin that we commit is now a problem, mm -hmm. we would just keep on sinning, mm -hmm. even though we know. So that's why we need the law. It's just like sometimes when you when you tell someone who has never heard of, of, of the Bible or they really don't know, and you say to them, have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? And they, they don't understand why that's a sin. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they might understand, well, bad words aren't necessarily good and I try not to use them, but they really don't understand why using the Lord's name in vain is wrong. So, yeah. But having that is not enough to keep us from sinning. Okay. But it does help us. It does, it, it does help us when we now read and see the Word of God at work and we see the inequity of the devil and strife and all that, and now we say, okay, I'm going to align this way. That's why when we, when we share um, the gospel, what are we doing? We're showing them who God is and what God has done and why God has done it, and now their logic will, okay, that makes, eh? we're good? Okay. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. So again, we're talking the law is spiritual. Uh, but I am of flesh. Bodies. Now he's making a distinction. Right? One or the other. One or the other. Uh, for I know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage 
to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know... We'll hold it right there. So now... So now no longer am I the one doing it, but the sin which indwells me. So in other words, my mind is saying, it's okay to do this. You know, it's, it's, it's like, uh, uh, you know, sometimes when, it's, when a child, you look, you look at a child at a, at a very young age, they figure out real early that they can get away with something. And they'll try and get away with it. Right? And it's cute when they're little, but then when they're older, and then the consequences are much deeper. Right? But it's, it's the same concept. So we see it at work at a, at a very, very early age. Or, or the child knows which parent to go to. Yes. Right? <laughs> or whoever it might be, they, 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 they know. They figure it out real quick. Usually it's mom. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> so again the point is any two of those are in agreement that's the way you are going to go and again spirit is uh, values and what values do we want God's values that's why we do Bible study that's why we have Sunday that's why we have prayer this is why, 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 why we study the word on our own because it, it, it uplifts God's values in us and then we renew our mind to those values. Um, and that's what's reborn on the inside of us. So let's see. Go to verse uh, 18. 23. Because it kind of repeats what he's saying there. Verse 23. Oh, no, 22. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. So in, so in other words, he says, now that I figured this out, I joyfully concur with God in the inner man. Whereas before I was following it this way, now I concur this way. So if the mind and spirit are set on, this is what I'm going to do, the body comes along. Right? And the other way around. If the mind renews to what the body wants, comes along. It's like when I told the, the young kid, I know I told you the story before, the young kid, he was smoking marijuana and his parents wanted me to talk to him. And th- he was born again, a kid I knew him since he was very little, good good kid. And uh, um, I asked him, I said, where is Jesus Christ? And he knew, he said, well, he's here. And I said, okay. And I, because he was saying, well, it's no big deal. And I, and I said, all right. I said, so where's Jesus Christ? And he says, well, he's here. And I said, so when you went to go smoke that joint, who did you take with you? And convicted him right there because all of a sudden now he realized this as opposed to that. This was saying, hey, it's no big deal. But this says, God is with me. That becomes our, our checks and balances, our spiritual checks and balances. 23. It says, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. See? 
and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. In other words, he's saying, my mind and my body are a warrior. My, my, my body wants one thing. My, my, my mind is, 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 is struggling with this. Uh, let's see. 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on one hand, I myself with my mind, I am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. The law of sin is a body being renewed, our spirit being renewed through Christ. Now, I'm going to go this way. So he's making a distinction. He's showing them this is the battle you're going to go through. And I think sometimes in Christianity we don't explain this enough to people or people don't understand it. That just because you're saved doesn't mean these desires go away. They're still there. And so now the battle comes. And so if you know where the enemy's at, if you know the battle you're going to be waging, then your warfare is going to be uh, aimed properly. You know, you know. sometimes people say, well, you know, you, you have the answer within yourself already. You just have to decide what you're going to do. You're going to do right or you're going to do wrong. The answer's within you, right? That's what he's saying there. So thoughts, questions on that? Any applause for my wonderful... No, anyway. <laughs> uh, chapter 8. Uh, Mount Everest. Yeah. Mount Everest. Yeah, exactly. I mean, chapter 8. Yeah, okay. All right, okay. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> verse 1 says, chapter 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation, there's not no punishment. You're in Christ Jesus, right? Why? Jesus was punished. He took it. He took the punishment. See, some, sometimes people will, will say, well, now you're now free of sin. No, we're not free of sin. We're still guilty. We still have, we still have the capability. And so now we have to understand that if we have the capability, now our logical mind now needs to make a decision. On which side am I going to go? Which side am I going to follow? I should be following the Spirit. But that's the, that's the battle. And that's why uh, being born again, uh, putting on the new self, the old self, the old self was totally this way. The old self didn't, didn't appeal to this at all. The old self, so, so think about, say we get saved when we're 25. For 25 years we've lived like this, and now all of a sudden we have to learn to live like this. It's not easy. That's why discipleship is important, and fellowship, and, and all that other stuff that goes along with it. By the way, Romans uh, 12, 2 is the scripture that says, renew your mind. And it's talking about renew your mind to the things of God. So he uses this motif, this, this idea here, through a lot of in, in Romans. But that's the scripture, Romans 12, 2, renew your mind. Uh, Romans 2 and 3. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Uh, 
For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So we're free from the letter of law, the legalism of the law, the fact that no one could live under the law because you would have to be sinless without sin. So God sent Christ uh, uh, in the likeness of sinful flesh. He didn't sin. His Jesus did not come to sin. He came in the likeness. In other words, he bears the sin. And he comes in the likeness of sin in humanity. Humanity is sinful. But that does not mean Christ is sinful. Christ is God. You cannot cross the two. He says, as an offering for sin. So again, as we said um, Sunday or two Sundays ago about Passover, when John the Baptist saw Jesus walking into the water to be baptized, he says, behold the Lamb of God. In other words, Passover, that's the only time you would sacrifice a lamb. We sacrifice the lamb to God. And now he's saying, this is all changing. God has now sent the sacrifice. That's why Jesus makes atonement once and for all. It's complete. It is from God. Anything we do is temporary. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't have that lasting effect. It did not come from God. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. So in other words, now, because he came, and because now, and you can put a cross in here, now that we know, now we have to wage that war in our mind and tell our body no. Right? Because this is where the battle is going to be. This is where it's going to try and draw you. That's why when you look at, I want to chase it too far, but theology of Satan. His only weapon is deception. And sometimes that deception is in our mind saying, well, it's no big deal. I can get away with it. It's no big deal. I didn't hurt anybody. It's no big deal. Or I don't really think the scripture means that. Couldn't mean that. God's love. Why would he send me to hell? So therefore, there is no hell. That's idolatry. Created God in the image that we want to portray God as. So right there in this little passage, I'm going to read it again. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death, because sin uh, in our mortal bodies, death is required. For the law, what the law could not do, in other words, make us alive, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Doctrine statements there. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus as an offering for sin. Okay? And then sin is condemned through Christ. Okay? Those are kind of doctrine statements there. Like I told you before, there's a lot of doctrine statements, and once we're done with Romans, we're going to put them all together. And whenever we come across these doctrine statements, we need to write them down and just kind of remember them. Because the doctrine statements, they're, they're, they're non-negotiable. This is Christianity 101. So when somebody says, well, I don't believe this, I don't believe that, you know, you, you take them to Romans and say, look, at this is what this is what Romans says. This is what, what's going on here. So, 
verse 4. It says, In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So again, we don't walk in the flesh, we're to walk in the Spirit. And later on, he says he says the same thing to the Galatians and the church in Ephesus. You know, we're, we're, we're to walk in the Spirit. So, if you just were to read, uh, we... Uh, we walk not by sight, but we walk by spirit. What does that mean? If you don't have any understanding that the body uh, desires to walk sinfully, and that the law convicts the body over that, but the mind still has to engage what's going on. I messed up. I need to conform to this. This is also, this is where repentance begins. This is where uh, forgiveness begins, and this is where also confession begins. So I realized this is Nathan coming to David and giving him a parable, and then David all of a sudden realizing after Nathan says, you are that man that I have sinned against God. And what I did, that's his, that's his acknowledgement there. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, inside someone. We deliver the message. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts them. Thoughts, questions on that? Uh, Verse 4 again, in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Uh, Sacrificial system. Sacrificial system was the Old Testament and it's still in place. It means there's a law that shows us where we've fallen short, and the outcome is, the verdict is, we are guilty. Right? So sacrificial system is the law, and the law shows us, gives us a verdict. So in other words, a law, you have to understand the law. Let me put it this way. A lot of people don't realize that when they read the Bible, especially... Uh, when it comes to the law, and even some things in the New Testament, it's written in almost like legal language, like you would read a constitution, or you would read, uh, you know, laws, statutes. It's, 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 It's written in that kind of language. And so the law delivers a verdict. Either you're guilty or you're not guilty. That's why when we evangelize, we ask them, have you ever lied? Have you ever, you know, have you ever stole anything? Have you ever looked at a person with lust? Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? You know, they respond to that. And then, well, according to the law, what is the outcome? The outcome, the verdict is you are guilty, right? And now if you're judged, how are you going to be judged? You're judged guilty. But what if I told you someone came and said, I will take the penalty for that? And that's what Christ does. Sacrificial system still in place. It's just that Christ, the Lamb of God, now uh, um, is the offering for sin for all time. So, and this is the problem. And I think this is kind of what Larry was alluding to a little bit about Mount Everest in Romans 8. Because, you know, when we talk about uh, Martin Luther, that, you know, Martin Luther, he was a seminary professor he was a priest and seminary professor, but he had not been saved. And it was Romans 8 and Romans 6 and Romans 7 where 
all of a sudden he read it and realized you're saved by grace, you know, grace alone. And then he realized that, you know, it's not about confessing his sin all day long. It's about confessing Christ and believing that in your heart, that God so loved the world that he gave out of God's love and his mercy, he extended grace. And if we're willing to repent, turn away from it and believe, then we receive God's grace. And so that was Luther light going on for him that uh, signaled the whole change in the Reformation that spawned the Reformation because what was happening is the church was moving away from the teachings of God and they were doing more things according to what they wanted to do based on the outcome that they wanted. For example, they were doing, the church was charging indulgence and stuff because the church didn't have enough money coming in, so the church came up with the idea of indulgence. If you give us enough money, we'll wipe away your sins. Well, what does that have to do with God? Nothing. That was something they came up with. Then he came up with all these different sacraments where you have to you have to go to church for this. That's where infant sacrifice came from, by the way. And um, nothing wrong with it, but you know the, the Bible teaches believers uh, um, uh, baptism that uh, these sacraments like communion and first communion and, and confirmation and, and wedding and last rites, all that stuff was to get people to the church because they weren't coming to the church in the Middle Ages which were really a dark time for, for church. So they came up with all these things of man-made reasons, and then Luther, now who's born again, writes his 95 Theses and say, wait a minute, we're doing these things over here, and we're supposed to be doing these. And then he's not trying to start a revolution, but they kicked him out of the church because they were being run this way, and they didn't want to change. But all he was doing was appealing to this based upon the renewal on the inside of him because his spirit was renewed. Why must man be born again? Right? So thoughts, questions, comments? Verse 5 and 6. For those who are according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit on the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Life and peace, you know, through Christ, eternity, and you know where we're going. But again, this is what we've been talking about the whole time. He's saying, this is going to be death. This is, has no, no redeeming quality in it. It's just pleasure, good time, nothing. This has the intention of God. This has Alpha and Omega. This has the beginning. This has the end. This just has today. Right? And so, uh, your mindset on, on this, the result is death. Your mindset on this, the result is life. Yeah. So as I wrote there, if your sinful mind controls, if your sinful mind controls your mind, the result is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace, right? And so, uh, this is the tremendous gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me, I've got a little extra time here. You know, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, 
was such a gift to the body of Christ because now what we have is that not only is Christ indwelling in us, the Holy Spirit is indwelling in us that now guides us and helps us and enables us. Now think about if we had to wage this battle without that. If we had to do it without the revelation of God, without the understanding of God, without being born again, it would kind of be like a, uh, well, that's a good idea, but I'm not sure it works. So meanwhile, I'm going to live over here because I know this works. You know, in the temporal thing. But you see, this is, this is, 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 this argues for today, this argues for yesterday, today, and forever. Verse uh, 7 and 8. But the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. Whoa. So now when we're looking at Hollywood and the world and all this stuff, and they're doing things carnally, you know, as as they want to do for themselves, uh, and you're living this way, it's hostile to God because it doesn't inquire over here. This is like King Saul. You know, he was anointed to be king. He was given, you know, everything, but he never inquired of God. He lived over here. And that's why he lost the kingdom. That's why that's why God's spirit left him. Because he was totally living over here. And that's a tragedy at King Saul. And you know, David is referred to after man after God's heart. It doesn't mean David was perfect. It was that David was after what God was at. So when Nathan came and convicted him, he saw it and said, I have sinned against thee. I have sinned against God. That's why he was a man after God's own heart, because he was willing uh, to repent. He was willing to feel uh, the pain, the burden of his sin. And this is what Christianity is. You know, we are not perfect, but we are willing, we are able to repent, we are able to confess we are able to improve based upon what God is showing us. So the mind on the flesh, I put down there in your little handout, carnal Christians, a lot of times in the church, we have people that say they're Christians, but they're, they're living over here. They're not fully over here yet. And this becomes a big problem. Because if they are not converted, if they are not living over here, there's going to be warfare. There is going to, this is going to fight this. This is going to say one thing, and this is going to say something else. And uh, the tragedy with some churches is that if they're not careful, the ruling body becomes people that are here and not people that are here. That's why... You know, in, in Scripture it shows us what elders are supposed to be, what deacons are supposed to be, so that those people in the organization will be on this side, not this side. So if we put people over here, well, because that's my brother, it's whoever, I like them, they're good, or whatever, they're going to be doing things this way. From a worldly, fleshly standpoint, they're not going to be doing it this way. And it's, it's going to be a battle, and people are going to get hurt. Like it says here, mind on the flesh or the body, carnal Christians, they respond in the flesh and people get hurt. And this comes from 
my own personal question, I remember being in seminary and, and, and reading these things and thinking, and knowing so many people that have been hurt in church, and I'm thinking, okay, that's not in God's word. Where is it coming from? Well, it's coming from people that are in the church that are are are, are fleshly, that are, are, are not uh, doing things spiritually the way God's word says to do it. And it, it, it causes the outcome is people are going to get hurt. Um, verse 9. Um, okay, go ahead. Where does it say carnal Christians in 7 and 8? Or is that just something? I, that, that's just a word I, I, I made up. Carnal meaning flesh. Christians, it's it's something that, that uh, let me unpack it more. It comes from my looking at the church, what's in the church, and why do we have uh, people getting hurt? Why do we have people doing things um, not biblically, you know, so that's that's not a biblical term there. That's just something I came up with. Or I might even have lifted it from something I read somewhere. But basically, it's it's the idea that it's it's also what I call, refer to as nominal Christians. That they're Christians more in name only. They're not really converted. Like I tell you, the story I, t- I took the class... There's an elective only because I was fascinated with the title, Evangelizing Nominal Christians. And I said, whoa, wait a minute, Evangelizing Nominal Christians. And what it was talking about was that we have to evangelize sometimes inside the church because people inside the church aren't always Christians. And why? Because they haven't committed over here. They're still operating over here. You know, so that's my projecting, my looking out, nominal Christians, and then the the the, the sad outcome of the whole thing was the final project in that class was we had to look at our own churches and now write about nominality in our own church setting. And so I was serving in a, in a church as an associate pastor. And I think it was a 20, 20 25 page paper. My, I found the nominality in my pastor. Because he was the one that was hurting everybody. He was the one that wasn't really committed to God. He was more committed on that side. And that was very hurtful. Because that person had also helped me. That was somebody that I looked up to. That was someone that I looked as a mentor. But that was someone that I even sat next to in class. But that was someone that I had to move away from. I had to break away from. And so it wasn't it wasn't an easy thing at all. Uh, and I guess my question is, in those cases like that, do, do we treat them as believers or do we treat them as non-believers? I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, th- there's love in both, but I'm just saying, you know, it's, so I'm not saying you hate one or the other. That's not what I'm implying at all. Yeah, saying, we, we, you know, we, we treat everybody the same, but it's it's like, what it, what it does for me as a, as, a, as, a, as a pastor, as a leader, it reminds me that if, if I'm going to put someone in a leadership position or if I'm going to work with someone, I need to evaluate where they're at 
so to help them get to where they need to go for the benefit of the church. And if it comes to the point that I, I my appraisal is they are not um, um, there yet, then, you know, then I work with them differently. You know, it's like, it's like I've, I've had a couple people and you've known a couple of them that, that, you know, say, well, you know, God's calling me to be a pastor and he's, he's telling me that you're going to help me be a pastor. And I basically look at it and say, okay, they're not ready. I know they're not ready. And so I said, so the first thing we we're going to do is, and I'll give them some little task, greet people at the door. And within a few weeks, they're gone. Why? They don't have a servant's heart. They are, they're, they're, not, they're not aligned with Christ. They want the pulpit. They want the attention. They want the, so, you know. But to answer that question. That's what, I, that's what I mean. And I'm not picking on you. Because yeah, no. that's the struggle I have. Just, yeah. you know, um, like, yeah, the, 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 the ideal response is treat them the same, but you can't. Yeah. I, I find myself, I can't treat them the same. And what I mean is, if I treat them as an unbeliever, then I preach to them the gospel and, and, and pray that they get saved. And then if I, if I treat them as believers, then hopefully we start a discipleship because now they're believers. Right. So those are two different things and discerning which one yeah, is which and, and is answer, tough. It's, it's very challenging. And to answer your question, yeah. we, treat, we treat everybody the same as as love right. to them but at some point we make that discernment and that discernment now we need to go to them we need to right. now deal with them a particular way you know? because I mean it, it, and in both cases I think right church discipline has to apply like I know with your mm-hmm. that pastor yeah. you talk about like I mean he's hurting people but if there's no church discipline applied then yeah. I mean I mean what do we expect right and, you and, know, and, uh, and uh, at the same time, if, if uh, you know, if you're not, but now you're in, in the senior pastor position, and you see, because like, I know, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, do and let me take out my glasses. So, uh, somebody that clearly is body. I mean, from your assessment, you you know, you, you drew the conclusion they're body and mind, mm-hmm. right? I'm gonna preach the gospel, and then I don't even think about yes. Don't even think about greeting the doors. Like you gotta get saved first. Yeah. You know, and and um, but even that's very tough to do. It's not not sure. easy to do. And, in, know, when, so and, when, and when I would say James, or, or not, for, for example, in the person that, that we're talking about, we're talking, <laughs> we're talking about the same person. Yeah, I know. But I remember you talking to that person and telling them your view of the Bible is wrong. I remember I that. that. I remember that very clearly. Yeah. And so, you know, that. it was you going, going it after it and saying it. But from a love standpoint, I right. want you to know that you're approaching it wrong. You know, I want you yeah, to I, know. I, I didn't your, say it with anger or anything. I just don't like yeah, it. I'm like, yeah, dude, no. you really, you, you, you have to twist it here. It's, and I said it out of love, but it obviously it doesn't come off that way. It never comes off that way. Well, yeah, you know, and, yeah, um, it's it's love, but it's the church has gotten away. They used to call it church discipline. And, and, and the church now doesn't really have discipline. And, and again, the whole point with traditionally in a, in a Southern Baptist church, when someone made that confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, at that point, normally people want to baptize them. In a traditional setting in Southern Baptist, the way we used to do it was, no, now you go through a discipleship program. Right. Because we have to make sure 
you're over here that you're really ready to lay the old person down. Because once you're baptized into the body, and then what would happen is that person, whoever they might be, they would come before the church, and the church would have the opportunity to ask them questions. Right. And say, what do you believe in this? What do you believe in that? Why? Because once they're baptized into that, now they are voting members of the body. They are, they're now eligible to be in any position in the church. It could be the next pastor. It could be whatever. So if we don't clear the house out here and we allow them in over here. Yeah. No, and I guess my point is, I know, I know we teased you about the whole triangle thing, but I mean, it's a really good illustration, I think, and I'm glad we're talking about it because yeah. I know I've seen you as a senior pastor. It's really hard. It's, 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 it, you know, it, and it's not, it's not something that I envy you. I mean, you're in that position. I don't envy that position. No, Because uh, it's, it's really, really hard. And, and, and I think, you know, um, being able to do it, especially like you said, you know, when you see treating the same with love, like that's probably the hardest part. Because we want to, we do, we mean it. You know, we, we don't, I don't think we mean to be rude or mean or, or jerks or anything like that. I think we really do try. Mm-hmm. But but it, it's, it's very challenging. I'm glad, I'm glad you're talking about it. Yeah. And so that's why a lot of times when somebody new comes in the church or they're saying, I want this and that, you'll find them, you'll find them in my office. I'm just getting to know them from where, where you're at and this and that, so, you know, because I have to make an appraisal because uh, part of my job is to protect the body. You know, and, and so, you know, you, ha- you have to make those kind of things and, yeah, it's not easy and unfortunately yeah. it's not taken as seriously as it used to be taken and because, again, the end result is PISA will collapse, will collapse and people will get hurt. Mm-hmm. That's the end result. Right. Pastor Steve, yeah. uh, may I ask, in your case, with your dissertation, and the, uh, you were the associate pastor, mm-hmm. uh, what did you do? How did you uh, solve that? How did I what? Solve it, you know, resolve it with your pastor. I confronted him. Really? We, we talked to him, mm-hmm. and he basically said, well, it's time for you to leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. And that, that's what I mean. Like, like you know, you had that experience. Yeah. And you were, you were like, once you were in the bottom, you know, talking to your senior, mm-hmm. and then you've also had now the first like, the experience of you being the guy at the top, yeah. having to do it to somebody at the bottom, and you're like, yeah. you've, had, you've been in both positions. Yes. And, yes. And, um, and so, yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. You know, and... Um, And it's it's hard on everybody around you. Yeah. Because it's hard on the families. It's hard on the immediate family. But it's also hard on the people that love everybody. And then now all of a sudden things are changing and it is changing. And this is going to try and preserve itself. Right? So it's going to fight do whatever it can to try and preserve itself, you know, and uh, um, it's just difficult. It's just difficult. I have another question. Sure. So in that situation, um, the opposition, let's say within a family, let's say within an enlarged family, Uh and you have 
that kind of situation, uh, it's hard to deal with that. And very hard, very hard, because, because it's just there will be, um, uh, you know, a schism. Yes. Created. Well. The, the, the reality is the schism was already there. Hmm. It was already there. Hmm. But now when we address it, it becomes evident. Mm-hmm. And the cloth is taken off and we realize there's a big divide between you and I. Yes. Which is just being covered up before. Mm-hmm. Because nobody was saying anything. And, yeah, it becomes very hard in a, you know, in a family or in a church family... Because you love the people, you care about the people. As Christians, we don't want to cause a fight. We don't want to cause a, a, you know, but we have to make that call. Do I let something that is potentially harmful exist, or do I call it out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I I think to add to your point, Drizzy, is that, for me at least, and and I think I think for everybody is that, in a, in a church environment, and correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor Steve, but the biggest thing was that they knew your body and mind more than they knew your spirit. In other words, like for me, like they know my body and mind in the sense that they, they know I'm a debater, they know I'm a little feisty sometimes, but they, you know, they get to know my, you know, getting getting to see my spiritual side. Now it becomes difficult because like, oh, this this guy likes to fight all the time, you know, you know, you know what I mean. And I think when fam- with family, that's what they see. They they know your body and mind clearly, yeah. yes. but when you're trying to show them your new spirit. It becomes a real problem, and even, Who are you? The, even within the yes. church body. Who are you? Yes, because right. they create um, an opposition right. verbally, and their actions show that, why are you talking about that? Why are you talking about the things of, of the Lord? And they separate themselves. And so when there are new members coming into you know, the bigger family, and they see this, then it's like, what do we do, you know? Who wrote this? There you go. She, she, she gets it. Okay. <laughs> That's what I've been trying to say all this time. Like, <laughs> no, this is, this is good. I mean, yeah. this is good. I mean, who wrote this? And what was Paul's past? Yeah. Talk about somebody that was living on, on, on the other side of the fence. Yeah. Yeah. And then now he's got to do like what you know he was talking about. You're talking about. Now he's over here and he's got to defend that knowing... This is what they're thinking of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But did that stop him? Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And, but then it also, and this is, this is the beauty of the body of Christ. You know, in the beginning, he had Barnabas. You know, he had, you know, a couple of people to come around him and, 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 and speak for him and show him, but not, to, not to, to, to get in the way of what God was doing with him, but to help him in the, in the beginning and so that he could be the Apostle Paul that, that wrote all this stuff. But yeah, it's, it's hard. It's, yeah. it's really hard. But so, you have to do it anyway. Huh? You have to do it anyway. You have to do it anyway. And that's call. When, you know, people say they're called. Call is must do. If God calls you, it's a must do. I mean, that's call. And so... You know, are we going to be Jonah, run from the call? Or are we going to answer the call? But then once you answer the call, then what happens when you answer the call is the journey. You know, that journey like like Abraham, and I think this is where I might be going Sunday, 
is, you know, that journey when God calls you, he's calling to to an elevated journey with him based upon you being over here. Mm -hmm. Right? And so that journey begins here. And so for Abraham, you know, 24, 25 years before he becomes a father of faith. I mean, he was like 75 when he started. So, I got a couple of years. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I still got my baby shoes on. Any other questions? This is good. I like this. Any more? Uh, so, verse 10 says, And if Christ is in you, through the body, though, through, though the body is dead because of sin, so in other words, our body, we are dead in sin, right? Uh, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. And how does that righteousness work? Through Christ, right? Okay. Um, verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him, capital H, meaning Christ, who raised Jesus, I mean meaning God, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. So where does the Spirit dwell? In us. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells in you. That's why I always say on Sunday, I said, the same resurrection power that was in Christ is now in us. So that's when he says, I am in you and you are in me. This is what it means to be conformed to the death of Christ. He now indwells in us. And so again, that becomes our biblical antecedent to say, one day I will be raised. Why? Because Christ was raised and I, through my confession and my belief, Christ now dwells in me. That power is now on the inside of me. That's the importance of the indwelling as opposed to the work of the Holy Spirit that now enables me to do ministry. That's the triune God at work on the inside of us. So you are alive in Christ, doctrine statement. So in other words, we're not going to die. We're alive in Christ. That's doctrine statement. Close with this for tonight. Verse 13, 14. Uh, well, verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So in other words, because Christ died for us, we're not under any obligation over here. We're under obligation over here. Christ died for us. And we enter into that, so now this becomes our obligation. And these, in other words, that becomes our direction, our hope, our call. Everything is on that side. Verse 13, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if the Spirit, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons or the children and daughters of God. Why? Because we were over here, we renewed our mind, we made that confession, we repented. Uh, we've acknowledged, and now we walk in the Spirit. We are now following God. We are on that spiritual journey to where God is taking us. And so I'll hold it right there. We are being led by the Spirit. Till next week. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts, questions on that?
right? Really good uh, interaction. Something unrelated to this. Bible study is over, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, just pray it on, and I have a. Uh, let's pray Lord God we just give you praise, honor and glory we thank you for this time Lord and we ask that you just continue to guide us watch over us in Jesus name we pray Amen